you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I don't know where you grew up, but I grew up in eastern North Carolina, and, uh, and you, you, you kind of are a product of your raising, right? You, uh, you're like the people you're around, you experience the same things, you have the same expectations, and that goes for everything, food, right? Uh, I know what southern food is because I'm from the south. I moved up here and they told me Ramsey's was southern food and that is not southern food. The, the Rachel Circle is the closest I've come to southern food like my mama and my daddy name. Uh, you also experience your hometown through its storms. In North Carolina, we're in, in my, we're in hurricane country. You watch the Weather Channel, Jim Cantori, if he's coming, you know you got to watch out. you got to prepare. Sandy can experience this from New Orleans, right? Uh, hurricanes give you time. You can, uh, you can fix up your house, you can board it up, you can get your groceries in a cooler and get out of town, you can make reservations at a hotel up north to go visit somebody else. You have time. I moved up here to Kentucky and y'all have different storms uh, than I was used to. Tornadoes? Tornadoes don't happen in eastern North Carolina, but they happen in Kentucky. And uh, the even more thing that happens is we think a tornado might come. So my first semester of seminary, I'm in uh, the depths of the admin building hearing a lecture on Midrashic interpretation of Jewish scriptures. It's as fascinating as it sounds. (laughs) And the tornado sirens go off. People rush from all corners of campus to this room because it is uh, one of the two or three safe spaces on campus. They flood in and my professor keeps lecturing. We're here, it's safe, let's talk about Midrashic interpretation of Jewish scriptures. Y'all can just listen. Across campus, there is McKenna Chapel, and that was the other spot where people fled to. Uh, The professor that was in there lecturing was Professor Robert Coleman. He wrote the book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. He is a pastor's pastor. He has this heart for the church. And he decided, well, I don't need to finish this lecture. I've got a chapel full of people. I'm going to preach a sermon. And so he just starts preaching. I wanted to hear his sermon, not the lecture on Midrashic interpretation of Jewish scriptures. Um, The crowd that was there saw this man who even then was, what, time in his 80s or something, stand up and with no notes, no outline, no note cards, nothing taped inside of his Bible like I do every week as a cheat sheet, nothing and stand up there and preach until this tornado warning was over. And his last word to the students that were in there was, you should always have a sermon in your back pocket. You never know when you're going to need it. So the debate became, where would your your pocket sermon be from? And most people went for one of Jesus' parables, right? This is the obvious answer. Jesus gives you a parable. Most of the time he interprets the parable and says, so here's what you go and do. And so most of my friends picked something from John or something from Mark. Ruth is my pocket sermon. If y'all are ever out with me and a tornado hits and I get the chance to preach to a captive crowd, it's probably going to be about Ruth or something crazy in Ezekiel. But Ruth is my pocket sermon because it is 
four chapters of gospel, even though Jesus is nowhere to be found. The story that we started last week of, uh, of, of everything going wrong. In the time of the judges, Naomi, her husband, her sons leave Israel because there's famine. They go out to Moab. Her husband dies. Her sons take wives. Her sons die, and things are I guess we'll go back to Israel and try to figure this out. But you daughters-in-law, you are, you are foreigners. I'm old. I'm not going to have any more kids. Things are bad. You stay here. Daughter number one, daughter-in-law number one, Orpha. She says, 10-4, Mom, this is what I should do. I'll stay here. Makes perfect sense. Nobody would blame her. Daughter-in-law number two, Ruth, says, as God is my witness, I'm going as far as death with you. You are my family. May God strike me down if I don't go as far as death with you. Your God will be my God. And then the story continues, and we get the lectionary text for today where they skip a whole bunch of really important stuff. They come back into Bethlehem. Again, remember, Bethlehem in Hebrew is Bethlehem, house of bread. This is the place where food should be, and we finally have some food. Things are good. They're in the middle of harvest season, and it's the night where they're going to thresh the grain. They're going to separate out the wheat and the chaff, and... Uh, it's, a, it's a good time in the city. And they come back in and they, they find Naomi, who is now calling herself Mara, for she is bitter. But they're excited. A favorite daughter has returned home. And, and she's got this girl who they're hearing stories about. This, this girl who comes and has promised fidelity to her. And, and she's kind of the talk of the town. Can you believe this Moabite woman? She, she came all the way back with Ruth. Naomi is distraught. The people of Bethlehem are excited. And, and Naomi tries to, to figure out how they can get through this. Okay, Ruth, there's a, there's a, a man up the road who is uh, an extended part of our family. And his job is to take you in, to give you a child in your husband's name. He's Boaz. He's up the road. She uh, goes out and she goes along to this farm and she sees workers in the field and she is excited because there is food. Uh, Boaz's fields have grain left in them even after they pick. And so from our first introduction to this kinsman redeemer, this man named Boaz, we learned that uh, he's, a, he's a Torah follower. Uh, the Torah instructs us that when you uh, harvest from your field, leave the stuff behind that you miss. Don't be greedy and go back a second time. I was raised when you pick pole beans, you pick every one of them. You don't leave them on the, the vine, right? I've seen Ray Hornback pick a row of beans bare. The Torah says, leave it. Because there's going to be somebody coming by who is hungry and is desperate for sustenance. And Boaz does this. Naomi comes along and she is filling her sacks and, and she feels more than she can need, enough for, for her needs and needs to go back. For Naomi, she has an abundance of grain. And Boaz says, come, sit with, with my women over here because then you'll be safe. If you uh, are out there or over there, uh, these men are going to do something to you. In the midst of this time where the judges reigned, Israel was not... Uh, this utopia we picture. Things are bad. There's lots of idol worship. There's lots of mistreatment of people, uh, most especially foreigners in your midst. 
Boaz proves again that he is Torah obedient because he protects the foreigner in his midst. When uh, it would have been easy for her to, to be kind of pushed aside and to be left on her own, he says, come and be safe here. And so Ruth goes back to Naomi, reports everything that's going on and tells her, look at all this bread and look at how he's protected me. And Naomi's excited. And so as we as humans are wont to do, she figures out the plan to make things happen. We, we, need, to put, we need to step on the gas and make this uh, go ahead and be formalized. So what I want you to do, Ruth, is uh, this is PG-13, so I'm going to interpret it uh, for you. I want you to go down to the threshing floor tonight because they're going to get drunk and separate out the stuff. I want you to go up there while the hay is flying up in the air and everybody's having a little bit of extra wine and they're probably eating some delicious food. And I want you to just wait. Watch them get drunk. Watch them have a grand time. And then when the night uh, is kind of winding down, I want you to go kind of lay beside Boaz and uncover his feet. I will let you do a Google search for what uncover his feet is a metaphor for. But it is uh, an invitation into something unwholesome for this situation. It is. Every commentary tells you at the right time there's nothing you can do about it. It's get redeemed. Boaz is startled from his drunken stupor, sees her there in the candlelight and says, Daughter, cover my feet back up. We'll talk about this tomorrow morning. We're, we're a little bit unsure what's to happen here because it's both good and bad. Uh, and so we, he kind of goes to bed and they get up the next morning and he's a little worried. You've got to get out of here right now because if people see you lying beside of my bed, they're going to think you uncovered my feet. Get out of here. We'll take care of this. Take some grain and go. There's another person who is supposed to redeem you because they're closer family members. Go and we'll take care of this. The story skips all over this next part where they go and they find this uh, closer kinsman redeemer because Boaz is Torah obedient. He is going to allow uh, the closer kinsman to have this opportunity. Because if you, if you do this, if you redeem uh, Naomi's family, if you redeem actually Elimelech's family, you get all the property that should have been Elimelech's, Malon's, and Chilion's. You get everything. This is like a bonus operation happening. And you also get Ruth. And for Boaz, this is a beautiful thing because he has heard that she is an Eshet Hayil, a woman of noble character, the very person that the, the book of Proverbs is going to lift up as the best. But to this first kinsman redeemer, this is a problem because she's a foreign woman. I'm going to redeem her. I'm going to have her mess. And then eventually she's going to get all this stuff back for her child and, and uh, Elimelech's name. And so this is not worth it. And Boaz says, I've got you. He's passed, it falls to me, and I'm going to make you whole. And so they uh, do it right. This is no shotgun wedding. They get together and, uh, and they form a union. And she gets pregnant and she has a baby. And the text tells us that this baby is now Elimelech's child. It's given to Naomi to be the, the bearer of the family name. This is not... Obed's son, this is uh, Elimelech's grandson. And Naomi, again, is filled with delight and cheer, and the women of the town are excited and celebrate with her. And the story tells us at the end that this child would go on to be David's grandfather. 
in this time of the judges, in this time where things are disastrous, we have a foreign woman and a Torah-obedient man who bridge the gap between disaster and the king after God's own heart. We have the story of a man who redeems a family that is fully gospel because we serve a God who has redeemed us. Christ went to the point of drawing us out of the depths of bad. Christ rescued us from the power of sin and death. Christ said, I'll make you whole again. Christ said, you no longer have to worry about uh, where God is or who you are. You no longer have to worry about what it means to, to, to search for God. You no longer have to worry because I am going to this point for you. This Torah obedient man, this God who took on flesh, who redeemed us and gave birth to the church, who uh, to this day can carry, on, can carry on his legacy of offering redemption to the world, of being his hands and feet and going out and obeying those, those laws he gave us, those laws of love to love him and to love other people. And man, have we seen redeemed people in the life of the church? We hear stories of the saints that have gone before us, of the martyrs from the earliest days of Perpetua and Felicitas, saying there's nothing better than to go to martyrdom. The stories of the desert fathers and mothers, the stories of uh, the reformers and their families, the story of Susanna Wesley raising up boys who would seek after the Lord. The story of your grandma who read you the Psalms out of that King James Version. The story of your kids who you uh, raised with a Jesus storybook Bible. The story of the people in the pew next to you. The story of the church. The story of a redeemed people set, set free by the love of Christ. Empowered by the Holy Spirit to bear witness to the good news that God is still redeeming the world. And that his kingdom is breaking in. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, you know, uh, we come to the table every week. And so at this table, we meet the very one who redeemed us. The one who set us free from uh, sin and death. And it's even more poignant to me on All Saints Sunday that we do enter into this story with the church throughout time. The church has declared that Christ has come Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. We connect with uh, that, that group of apostles who heard the story in the upper room, and we connect with that family member who we lost this year. And we believe that they dwell in the presence of God, waiting for the time when God finishes his redemptive work in Christ, the time when heaven comes to earth and we all dwell in the presence of God once more.